So, Father God, we just come before you, and we thank you, God, for just meeting with us. We thank you for your presence here this morning. And God, I do thank you that you have given me your word. And, and Lord, I pray that you give me grace to faithfully um, to communicate it. God, I pray that, that you would unveil our eyes to see what you're up to. Lord, we want to partner with you, and most of all, we want to draw closer to you. So, Lord, we, we just bless you. We bless what you're doing. And we just say, Holy Spirit, we believe in you. And we believe that you are with us, and you are upon us, and you are inside of us. And right now, we ask that you would lead us and guide us into all truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, today, I want to talk to you about the new thing. And um, as, we get, as I kind of break, it, break down this idea of the new thing, uh, I, I believe that we have, in some form or fashion, entered into a new season. I'm not 100% sure if we have fully transitioned to the new thing or not, but I know that we're either we're working our way that way. And the thing is, is that a lot of times, we as Christians and as human beings, we don't always like the new thing that God is doing because we actually like the old thing. We want God to do a new thing just like he did it in our past. And uh, I, I did watch the, the Jesus Revolution movie here this week. I thought it was phenomenal. I loved it. Hopefully you got a chance to see it. I think it actually is still in our theater. And uh, anyways, you know, we, you watched it, and they, they took a little snippet. Not, I don't want to steal from the movie, but the movie's about a, an actual move of God that happened in, in the 70s. And uh, the, it's called the Jesus People Movement. And so in that movement, what began to happen is people started coming out of the woodwork saying, this revival is not of God. God doesn't operate this way. And what you find when you look at the Bible is that no matter what the current thing is, people always want the old thing. And Jesus said it like this, you can't put new wine into an old wineskin, because if you put new wine into an old structure or a skin, the, the, the old structure is brittle, it's rigid, it doesn't conform well, and when you put new wine into that thing, it's going to ferment, and it's going to expand, and it's going to break that structure, it's going to break the wineskin. And when it breaks the wineskin, then all of the wine is just going to come falling to the ground. And so, but then Jesus said, people don't want the new, they want, they, the old is better, they say. That's what Jesus said. And so a lot of times when God does something like, you know, maybe you're familiar with the Asbury revival that happened here recently, you know, we, you know, I don't know if we've ever had a revival and YouTube and social media and all this stuff at the exact same time before, but now people that are experts, now there are people that have never seen revival in their life, yet they have a YouTube channel dedicated to proving that God can't be in that. Well, why can't God be in that? Because God only works through perfect people, right? That's how revival is. Revival is when God pours out his spirit on perfect people, and the imperfect people come, and they are changed overnight, to perfect people. And then there's no sin in revival, and there's no conflict in revival, because we all know that God only works with perfection. And then we look at our own experience of God, and we say, the way I've experienced God is the only way anybody else can experience God. Because I have a grid 
I've encountered God in certain ways and in certain places, and everybody needs to do exactly what I do, connect with God exactly like I do. Right? Is, not, is this not the truth? Because everybody that connects with God differently than me is a heretic, and they are dangerous. So we got to be careful that we don't shoot what God is doing. But also, we got to be careful that we don't miss out. I mean, my goodness. I've been praying my whole life for revival. I don't want to miss it. I do not want to miss it. But do you know that a lot of times Christians miss it? I'm not saying they don't go to heaven. I'm just saying they miss out. What if the breakthrough you've cried out for for years, you're on the cusp of it? But what if you had to let go of what people thought to get it? What if you had to change some things in your life that you've never, that you, you don't want to let go of, but if you let go of it, you can enter into the new thing? And so I'm, I think this is going to be a good sermon. I feel good about this. Um, I know, I know it, I, sometimes I get stuff from God. I'm like, God, I don't think that's going to work. And then it usually does. So I've, I've learned to go with whatever he says, but I believe, I believe this is what the Lord's put in my heart. And so I want to go to like, if you know anything about the Bible and you know anything about the new thing, we're going to go to the passage on the new thing. And that's in Isaiah chapter 43. Isaiah chapter 43 is written by the prophet Isaiah, actually about the far distant future for the people of Israel who were go- before they even went into captivity. And so I want to look at verse 16. Thus says the Lord who makes a way in the sea and a path through the mighty waters, who brings forth the chariot and horse, the army and the power. They shall lie down together. They shall not rise. They are extinguished. They are quenched like a wick. Now, I know you guys are like, that's not the passage. I'm getting there, but I'm setting it up. This is before the famous passage here. So, in verse 16... Going back up to the top. Thus says the Lord who makes a way in the sea, a path through the mighty waters. What is he talking about? He's talking about their history. So he's talking to Israel like, you have a history, and in that history, you had a leader named Moses. You were slaves in Egypt, and you were delivered out of your bondage from Egypt, and you, and you were taken supernaturally Through water, because Moses, you know, lifted up his rod, and the water of the red, or the possible, more likely the Reed Sea, it parted, and then there was a dry path. So, for the people of Israel, over a million people, old and young alike, male and female alike, the entire nation is between a rock and a hard place because they literally see. Pharaoh and Egypt coming at them, and on the other side of them, they are entrapped by water. And God says, listen, in your history, you have a past, and in that past, I made a way. There was no path, there was no way, but I made a way where there was no way. It's important that you understand your history before you enter into your destiny. So he says here, I make a way, I make a path, And then he goes, who brings forth the chariot and the horse. That is referring to Pharaoh and his army. 
Pharaoh and his army came with horses and chariots. And so now the people, you know, they're in the middle of the night and they're trucking along and they're walking in the, through, the, through like the waters to the left and the right of them. And while they're walking through, Pharaoh's catching them. He's coming behind. And the people get out of the water and Pharaoh and his army get into the path and then God says, oh, pull them back the water now. And they all get dunked in the water. Pharaoh and his army are killed. So God's talking to them in context of their history. He's saying, I've done, I've done a work before. That was me. There was the army, and then it says, they shall lie down together. They shall not rise. They are extinguished. That's Pharaoh was extinguished. They are quenched like a wick. So God has just talked about their history. And then in verse 18, he says, do not remember the former things. Do you see it? The Lord says, listen, I want you to think about this. I make a way where there is no way. I make a path where there is no path. Do you remember your history? Do you remember what I did? Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, forget it. (laughs) What? Why is that? Because when we become experts on God, we can miss out on what God is doing. When we think we know how God operates, that's when we're in trouble. The Pharisees were experts on the Old Testament. They were experts on the Messiah. And then the Messiah came. And they go, well, you're not the Messiah. You can't be the Messiah. We know. We know what the Messiah is going to be like. And you're not him. (laughs) Right? Is this not the truth? Every, I shouldn't say every, but by and large, it is so common for the last move of God to persecute the new move of God. It is normal for the religious to try to shut down and stifle what God is up to because we have a grid for what God has done and we think that is how God works. And when we think we know our experts on God, we don't really know what we're doing. So God says, do not remember it nor consider the things of old. Behold, I will do a new thing. And we're like... Yes, God, that's what we want. Our, our nation is in trouble and my life sucks. Do the new thing. And then God does the new thing. Like, no, 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 God. I want it to be like the old thing. Just do it. Make it my life better with the old thing. And God's like, no. We have to completely uproot the whole system because I'm a God that's doing something that's never happened before. So God says, I, I do a new thing. Now it shall spring forth. Shall you not know it. That word know in some Bible translations is, do you not see it? So you look at this and you say, I, I, I looked it up and I say, well, is it, is, you know, in the original language, is it know or is to see or to perceive it? And the answer is they're all, they were all right. The word uh, is the word yada. You've probably heard this word before. The word yada in the Hebrew is oftentimes used when a husband knows his wife and she conceives. It's not necessarily referring to sex, but it's referring to intimacy, unity, and communion. We're like, I know you. I know you. And so, an intimate knowledge. And so God is saying, I'm doing a new thing. Don't you experience? Don't you see it? Don't you perceive it? Don't you experience? I'm doing a new thing right now. Can't you tell it? And then he goes on, 
And this is the new thing. I will even make a road in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. Do you see the difference? Some of you are like, maybe, but tell me to make sure I'm sure. So in the first part, in the Exodus, where they escape from Egypt, it's all water. What does God do? He parts the water. He delivers them out of their trouble. What is the new thing? The new thing is, I'm not pulling you out of the desert. You want out of it. No, I'm not pulling you out of the desert. I'm actually going to make a road for you right in your desert. And then he goes on to say, I'm going to make a river in this desert. God's not pulling us out of the mess. God's going to provide a river in the mess. And this river is going to move. It is going, water oftentimes represents the Spirit. So we have the movement of the Holy Spirit. We have a flow of the Holy Spirit. And the Lord is saying, for anybody that comes to this river, I will give you a drink. I will give you a drink of water like you've never known before. I will enlarge your capacity and I will upgrade your Christianity and your relationship with God is going to go to new heights if you can step into the new thing. I'm not here to deliver you from it. I'm going to give you water right in the wilderness, in the dry places. But then in verse 20, it goes on to say, the beast of the field will honor me, the jackals and the ostriches, because I give waters in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. I give drink to my people, my chosen. What I want you to see here well, first of all, right, I say, you know, I want you to kind of see the imagery of this because if you've ever watched, uh, I think it's uh, Planet Earth or a lot of those National Geographic kind of things, they show like how, you know, these massive desert-like places and then they show this water coming into the desert and how seeds that were in the ground, in this deserted ground, all of a sudden stuff starts sprouting up and you have all this water, and you have all this really quick growth, and then you see, you see a whole multitude and variety of animals coming to it. You guys ever seen that? Am I the only one who's ever watched that show? Yeah, so, you, and it's like really cool. A middle of nowhere, water appears. All of a sudden, when water appears, the animals figure it out, and they come to it. Now, what's so cool about verse 20 is it says, God just happens to use the terminology that when he puts a river in a dry place, he's going to bring jackals and ostriches to it. And we're like, well, that's, that's cool, God. Like, why, why those? It's because they're unclean animals. You see, in the Jewish culture, they had things that were clean and things that were unclean. Kosher stuff. So you don't eat, you don't eat bacon. Jews do not eat bacon. It is unclean. You do not eat shrimp. It is unclean in the Jewish culture. And so a jackal and an ostrich, those are two animals that are on God's naughty list. They are unclean. They're not good enough. And God is saying, listen, when I pour out my spirit, it's going to draw all kinds. It's going to draw people. And I believe that some of you are here today because you've come for a drink of Jesus. You didn't, you didn't come to, you know, to just go through the motions. Literally, you might be in a very dry place, but the Lord is calling you forth, and the Lord is calling you out, and he is, 
and he's doing it with a lot of us. Like there is a stirring in the spirit and it is exciting to watch this. There is a river for all who want to drink of this river. But the thing is, is that to the Jewish mind, for a jackal and an ostrich to come to this river is offensive. They don't like unclean animals coming to their water source. And what's going to happen, mark my words, what God does is going to offend us. God is going to draw people out that most Christians would not pick out to be a part of the next move of God. God purposefully uses the people that we think aren't good enough. God purposefully uses the misfits and the outcasts and the broken. God is stirring the pot up to bring in non-religious people. And it's going to be so difficult to navigate. God has been trying to get us ready. We've, we've known this for years. We have been crying out for years, and God has been speaking to us, get ready, get ready, get ready. And one of the ways God is getting us ready is he's enlarging our love. Because he's saying, listen, will you love the one that I sent to you? Will you accept the one that doesn't look like you? But God, they're weird. And God's like, well, you're probably weird too, but <laughs> I just... I, I want to, uh, hopefully this is coming across loud and clear. Because you, like God, like Jesus was bigma on what he does. Jesus was born to a woman who was not married. That's offensive. Jesus came from Nazareth. Nobody liked Nazareth. That's offensive. Jesus hung out in Galilee. Galilee is not a well-liked place. And there was even a point in the scriptures where it was an insult, where they said, are you from Galilee too? That was an insult. They're like, are you, you I, don't know, I don't know what words I should use that would be appropriate. But the big idea is, God has a thing for taking our, the answer to our prayers and putting it in boxes that are so offensive. Putting it in people that we don't like. The answer to your prayers is probably found in with the most annoying people in your life. <sighs> Just for fun. Just for fun. Because God loves to offend our minds to test our hearts. God wants humility. Jesus said to the Father, Father, I think you've hidden this from the wise and the prudent and you've revealed it to babes. Yes, Father, it pleased you to do it this way. If you want revelation, if you want God's attention, if you want God to talk to you, humble yourself. Become like a child. Because when we become like children, we can accept and be teachable. But when we're experts and know-it-alls, we will not, we will not catch what God is doing. And so I want to, I really need to move forward, but I want to go to John chapter 3. John is in the New Testament, if you're wondering. John chapter 3. And I want to read just a couple of verses in verses 1 and 2. All right, verse 1. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, 
We know that you are a teacher come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Let's just camp there for a moment. Nicodemus was a religious leader, a Pharisee even, and he had a special meeting slash appointment with Jesus in the middle of the night. Why would a very respected religious leader choose to meet with Jesus when it's dark and private? Because he didn't want to be seen with him in public. Right? I think it makes sense. And then he says, Rabbi. First of all, he calls him teacher. We know that you were a teacher come from God. Who's we? The Pharisees. What? Yeah. The Pharisees knew. We know that you were a teacher come from God. Why? Because nobody else can do the signs that you do unless God is with him. That's the truth. But why would all these Pharisees reject him and publicly say, we don't believe he's the Messiah? Yeah, the religious spirit, you are right. Stole the, stole the, the, the sermon. <laughs> do you want to come up here? No. No, it's the religious spirit, you are right. It's the fear of man. The fear of what people think will and can maybe can and will, keep us from what God wants to do in our lives. Our dignity might be the biggest barrier to our freedom and our breakthrough. God will put our answers in places that require us to be obedient. And the obedient thing can be very difficult to do because it requires oftentimes humility. And so sometimes we don't want to be associated with certain people. And sometimes we don't want to be viewed as stupid or gullible. Do you know that that's, I mean, a lot of how Hitler and a lot of world leaders have manipulated the masses? What you do is you make them feel stupid for questioning you. Like, oh, I can't believe you believe in a God. You know, isn't that, isn't that how our culture is? We're very rationalistic. We're very logical. And we, we have a worldview in Western culture that, you know, I mean, think about what we, we're, we're talking about here today. We believe that there is a God who we have never seen with our natural eyes who listens to our prayers and that our prayers are affecting everything around us. Does that not sound crazy? I mean, if you, if you, if you go into the, the high upper crust of, of society, and you go to an Ivy League school. Now listen, Ivy League schools started as training places for pastors. That's how they started. But they moved very far away from God, and they moved into a secular ideology. And I'm all for science, but some of what they call science is not science. All right, Daniel, don't go off on tangents. You can do this. We're going to do this together, all of us, all of us together. You can feel so dumb for believing in, a, in God in, the, in, in certain environments. But if people look down on you because you believe in God, are you willing to push through what they think about you? 
If you have a, a, a professor in your particular college, like maybe it's tech, that thinks you're an imbecile because you believe the Bible, will you, you know, hide or run away from it because you're afraid of what he thinks about you? That's how society can, works. It manipulates. And it happens in the church world. It happens in the church world, too. There are a lot of people that stay away from healings and from miracles and the supernatural because they don't want to look like a fool. I mean, you know, if you go and, and you believe, you know, Jesus says, to, tells us to, to raise the dead. Does anybody notice that it was a command? How awkward is that? Excuse me, my master wants me to raise this dead person. Can I pray for a few minutes? You're like, what do, you, what do you do with that? And so you can, there are parts of the church that says, you know what? Let's just stay away from anything that will make us look bad. Tongues is creepy and weird. Let's just, let's just put them all in a closet and not let anybody hear them talk in tongues. You know, sometimes people use the terminology like we're charismatics with seatbelts on. And I don't blame people for being afraid. But my point is, is that it is the fear of man that can keep us from what is actually of God. And so we have to be willing to lose face and have other people say bad things about us and look down on us and even look like an idiot. You maybe prayed for somebody to be healed and then they died. What are you going to do with that? Are, you just gonna, are we just going to throw out the scriptures because our experience doesn't match it? Am I going to stop praying for people because it makes me look dumb? Never stopped me before. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> we do lots of dumb stuff, right? We do lots of dumb stuff together. No, I want to I go to, I'm going to go faster. Uh, John chapter 12. I want to see another passage here. Go down to verse... 42, I believe. Yep. John chapter 12, verse 42. All right. Verse 42. Nevertheless, even among the rulers, many believed in him, but because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue. For they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. It's right there. Listen, you were hardwired to receive praise. When you see a little, you know, five-year-old kid and they say, Dad, 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 I played t-ball today and I was awesome. I hit the ball. And you say, well done, you know, good job. Like, they, they crave that. We don't go and say, you know what, that is so fleshly of you to, to want my attention and me to be proud of you. No, no, the way it works is that you were hardwired to be praised, to be viewed in a high regard. The problem is not in wanting it. The problem is where you're getting it. Because where we often get it is from other people. But it says right here, they love the praise of men more than the praise of God. We want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. We want the praise of God. So when, we, so when we live our lives, I'm not trying to please the masses. I'm not trying to even please you guys. I am here to please only one. 
He is worthy of my life. And regardless of what happens, I will choose to follow him. Regardless of what it costs me, I will follow him. I want God to be happy with me. I want God to be pleased with me. And I think that if we can get that settled in our spirit, then we can live free from what other people think about us. I want to go to John chapter 9. I'm going to skip that passage, Sherry, for the sake of time. But John chapter 9, I want to look at a story it's a great story, almost comedy-like in a way, um, and that I think will paint a really good picture of everything we've been talking about. All right, so John chapter 9, we'll pick it up in verse 1. Now as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned this man or his parents that he was born blind? Now you've got to understand, in, in the Jewish culture, at this point, point in time, they believed that if a person was sick, it was actually God's punishment on them. So they're saying, Lord, was it his parents' sin or did he sin himself? You know, he's born blind. I'm like, how did he sin in the womb? Verse 3, Jesus answered, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. As long as I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. Then Jesus does probably one of the most irreligious things. They use fancy terminology, but, you know, it's it's, it's as bad as it sounds. When he has said these things, he spat on the ground and made clay with saliva. I love how they word things. Jesus hucked a loogie. (laughs) And then it goes, and he anointed. Anointed. Do you want to be anointed? Yes, I'll be anointed, God. Okay. Rub. Anoint means to rub or to smear, but they use the fancy terminology. So they anoint the eyes of the blind man with the clay, put some spitty mud. And he said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. Now, doesn't this just seem mean? Now, I don't know how far he traveled. There's probably someone who could probably tell me. I wish I could know, but... I mean, if I go and I, if someone came to church today and they were blind and I spit and I, in the dirt and I rub some mud in their eyes and then I said, all right, now walk to Rocker and wash your, yourself in the bathroom of the, the Rocker town pump. You know, just go in there. Like, does anybody else see where that'd be a little weird for, to send a blind person down the road by themselves? Just, just saying. So Jesus is like having a good old time. And so the guy goes, and he does what Jesus says, and he is healed. And he starts telling people about it, and it kind of creates a ruckus. And so I want to go down to verse 13. And in this ruckus, it says, They brought him, the, the blind man, who formerly was blind, to the Pharisees. Now it was a Sabbath when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. So he, that's, that was where Jesus made a big mistake. He healed the guy on a Saturday. You should never heal people on Saturdays because it's, it's, it's illegal. So it was a Sabbath when Jesus made clay and opened his eyes. Verse 15. Then the Pharisees also asked him again how he had received his sight. He said to them, he put clay on my eyes and I washed and I see. Therefore, some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God because he does not keep the Sabbath. The, Nicodemus said, we know you're the guy. We know you're the guy. But right here it says, we know you're not the guy. 
Because our guy will only heal Sunday through Friday. Because the Sabbath is not a day for helping people, it's a day for rest. Right? Does this sound as stupid out to you guys as it sounds to me? But this is what religious people do. They make, they, they, they make blogs and they do all kinds of stuff, tearing down other people. That can't be God, because I know what God is like, and everything in my past tells me what God is like. And then others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. They said to the blind man again, what do you say about him? Because he opened your eyes. He said, he is a prophet. Then the Jews did not believe concerning him that he had been blind and received his sight until they called the parents of him who had received his sight. Then they asked them, saying, is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? So now they're saying, well, we know Jesus couldn't have done this, so apparently you, you really weren't blind. You're, you're just somebody else. Verse 20, his parents answered them and said, we know that this is our son and that he was born blind. But by what means he now sees, we do not know. Or who opened his eyes, we do not know. He is of age, ask him. He will speak for himself. His parents, they didn't want to be canceled. Verse 22, his parents said these things because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had agreed already that if anyone confessed that he was Christ, he would be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, he is of age, ask him. So his parents are like, we don't want to tell you the truth because you will punish us for telling, us the tr- for telling you the truth. So they again called the man who was blind and said to him, give God the glory. We know that this man is a sinner. How? You know what I mean? Like, this is how dumb, I'm going to say this and I hope this comes out right. This is how dumb religious people can be. This is why religion is not our friend. We want a living relationship with a living God who messes with our minds. We want a God who is willing to offend our thought life and our, you know, God will not violate his word, but he will oftentimes violate our wrong ideas about it. And so we have to be willing to be changeable and to be pliable in the new thing. See, where were we? Help me, somebody. Where were we? 25, thank you. We know he's paying attention. Good job. So they again called the man who was blind and said to him, give God the glory. We know that this man is a sinner. Sorry, that was 24. He answered and said, whether he is a sinner or not, I do not know. One thing I know that though I was blind, now I see. Sometimes God works through people that don't have their theology figured out. Sometimes people say, I don't understand all this Bible stuff, but I know this. I once was blind, but now I can see. I don't have all the answers for you. I don't know why this happened. I don't know why God does what he does, but this is what I know. My life's been changed. i this was once my life before Jesus. This is my life after Jesus. And I don't really care what you think because I got what I needed. Then they said to him again, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I told you already and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? 
Do you also want to become his disciples? Ticked them off right there. <coughs> Sorry. Then they reviled him and said, you are his disciple, but we are Moses' disciples. I love that. That's so funny. They're like, we don't know about this guy. Like, Jesus created you. We don't know about this guy, but we know Moses. God was there. God spoke through. Do you guys realize what the story of Moses is like? Nobody accepted Moses. Everybody believes the, the dead prophet, but nobody's listens to the one who's alive. I mean, seriously, Moses was caused, people would come, who put you in charge? And they would come after Moses, and Moses would like cry out to God, like, oh Lord, defend me again. And God would like cause the ground to open up and swallow people whole and alive. It's like, like but they know God spoke to Moses. Why? Because we have the, the Old Testament scriptures. We know that's legit. And Jesus is like, listen, you look at the scriptures, but you're missing the point. Just because you know your scriptures, just because you know your doctrine, does not mean you know the person who wrote it. So then he says, we know that God spoke to Moses. As for this fellow, we do not know where he is from. Verse 30, the man answered and said to them, why, this is a marvelous thing, <laughs> that you do not know where he is from, yet he has opened my eyes. Now we know that God does not hear sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, he hears him. Since the world began, it has been unheard of that anyone opened the eyes of one who was born blind. I love this. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered and said to him, you were completely born in sins, and are you teaching us? And they cast him out. Pride and arrogant, oh, makes you think unholy thoughts. These, these people were know-it-alls. But this man had an encounter. And that is what we want. We want an encounter with the living God. And I believe that, I believe that there's a river in the wilderness for all who would come to this river, for all that would come and drink of this river. But we have to be willing to let go of our fear of man. And we have to let go of our pride and we need to become childlike. I want to go to one final passage of scripture out of Psalm 25. I love Psalm 25. I probably read it like a lot. And uh, I want to look at one simple verse found in verse 14. Psalm 25, verse 14. It says, The secret of the Lord is with those who fear him, and he will show them his covenant. Read that again. The secret of the Lord is with those who fear him, and he will show them his covenant. What's interesting is um, some passages of Scripture, like translations, instead of the word secret, they use the word friend or friendship. So some would say the friendship of the Lord is with those who fear him, and he will show them his covenant. I want you to see here, I, I wrote a few notes here about what that word secret or friendship. The word actually means a company of persons in close deliberation, a secret counsel. So think of it this way here. 
when you fear God, it opens up a doorway to enter into a secret council with God where you get to be his friend. When we fear people, we make people big and God becomes small. When we fear God, and, an, and I mean a healthy fear, not like you're like, oh no, I'm really scared of God, but like there's a holy fear, and I'll talk more about it in a moment. When you have a healthy fear of God, God becomes very important to you, and God becomes very big, and then people start becoming small. Does that make sense? So, so God wants... I hope this is biblically right, but I think I'm right. So you, you can give the, you the ability to disagree with this. But you know, there's a lot of songs out there like about, I'm a friend of God, he calls me friend. I'm not so sure that, I mean, I, I think it is right. I think everybody that's a Christian is a friend of God. But I think that, that the idea of really being a friend of God is different than just kind of that, I'm an, I'm an acquaintance of God. I'm an acquaintance. He calls me acquaintance. Like, I don't know if that would work in a song, but like, there are people that will go to heaven that I'm not sure they really know God. Like, I'm not saying salvation. I mean, like, intimately. I'm talking about a special place of relationship where you say, God, I fear you. What does that look like to fear God? It's like, God, I really care about what you think about me. And I really care about, like, when I go and I interact with other people, I want other people, I want to honor you in the way I treat other people. Like, when we, when we go and we sing songs on Sunday morning and we're lifting our hands and we're praising and we're, you know, we're, we're, we're praising God with our mouth, we're glorifying him, but that is only one percentage of worship. Because when we have this intimacy, this communion with God, every single encounter we have with every person, God is squarely in the middle of it. I look, like when you, when, you, when you walk down the street and you see people, look at them for a moment and just think, this person was made in the image of God. This person is valuable. They may not be in their right mind. They might be very poor. They might be very broken. But look at them and think to yourself, that person's important to God. And if that person's important to God, then the way I think about them and the way that I treat them and the way that I handle things, I, I'm operating out of fear of God because I, I, I want God to care about, like how do I say this? I feel like I'm stumbling, but I think you're getting it. When I interact with people, my fear of God um, orchestrates how I treat them. When I watch movies or choose not to watch a movie, I do it out of this idea of a relationship. God, I don't want to offend the relationship. I don't want to offend your heart. God, when I preach a sermon, the, the way I talk to the people and the way I make the people feel, I want the, them to feel hugged by God and loved by God. I want everything that I do to be out of this, this nucleus of, God, I, I care so much about you. I do not want to do anything that will mess up this relationship. I want to guard you, God. I want to protect your heart because friends protect friends' hearts. And so even here it talks about that the secret I'm going to tie this all together, I promise. The secret 
of the Lord. God is saying, listen, I, can I trust you with my heart? Can I trust you with my secrets? If I gave you a secret, would you just go and start a YouTube channel and tell everybody about the next doom and gloom prophecy? Or can I count on you to keep that between us? Can I tell you the secrets about other people in your life and you become an intercessor and begin to pray for them as I reveal secrets to you? Or will you go and start telling other people's business? You see, God is, there's, there's this wonderful dynamic where you can have the fear of God causes you to operate, to push beyond all the things that other people think about you and all the other things other people say about you. The fear of God will deliver you. The scriptures say the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. In fact, in Job, I, I, I can't remember the actual verse right now, but in Job it says that to fear God is wisdom. And so you will naturally know which way to take when you fear God. And every decision is built on, I'm going to guard the relationship. I'm going to guard the heart of God. And I'm going to have this friendship. I'm going to have this fear of God. And then God will reveal his secrets to you. And when God reveals his secrets to you, it changes who you are. It changes the way you process things. You know, I, I really appreciate Pastor Tim. He's taught me so much over the years. And I, rem- you know, I remember just le- his humility um, just blows my mind because when I came here, I was 18 years old and uh, I was a youth pastor by the age of 22. I was so young, I can't believe. I can't believe you guys put me in charge of anything. <laughs> but I remember Tim would listen to me when most other people his age and older would not listen to me. And there was such a humility that I was willing to receive from a young person and to give me the time of day that I could actually speak into his life. You know, and I, I remember watching how he would be open to things that were beyond his mind. Does that make sense? I, I, what I'm about to tell you, I don't have a clue where Tim stands with this particular thing, but this is what comes to my mind. Like, I remember years ago, I was watching the documentary, The Finger of God, and if you haven't seen it, you should, because it'll really mess with you. The finger of God, early in the video, there's these people that claimed that they had dental problems and they couldn't afford to have dental work. And they were in a praise and worship service, and all of a sudden they had this burning sensation, like they felt like they were at the dentist. And then when the service was over, they discovered that they had gold teeth, and God did teeth surgery on their teeth. So these are people... You know, and I'm like, God, why don't you just give them new teeth? Why'd it have to be gold? You know, like, why'd it have to be like that? You know, but the thing is, is that, so some people would say, well, I don't think that's God. I think they're making it up. I don't know. Maybe they are making it up. I kind of doubt it because it's a weird thing to make up. But, let, but the thing is, like, I'm, I, like, you know, there are people that claim that they have seen angels. There are kids that claim they have, they have seen angels. To my knowledge, I have never seen an angel. But I'm not going to shoot the person that has an experience that's different than me. Does that make sense? And so when you fear God and you have this type of relationship with him, you begin to realize the more you know God, the less you know God. The more you know about God, the less you know about God. And it creates this childlikeness that says, you know what? 
I'm not an expert. You know, I've heard some weird things. I'm like, well, God does weird things. And I'm not going to, to come, I'm not saying it's true or not true. I'm just saying, like, there's a humility that comes into place when you become childlike as opposed to becoming an expert. Do you guys want to stand up? If I could have the prayer team come to the front here. In just a moment, I'll pray a prayer of dismissal. And, uh, and then when the service is dismissed, we have people up here that will uh, pray for you. If you, if, you, if you need prayer for anything, if you, want, if you want to give your life to Jesus, if you want to come to the river today and drink of that river of life, you can come. They will lead you in a prayer to invite Jesus into your heart, and you will have a brand new life. Um, if you want physical healing, you can come up here and pray for them to pray for you to be physically healed. If you have a situation where you're like, you know what, I've got a situation with my family or work or whatever, um, whatever it is, you can come up and receive prayer. So I encourage you to take advantage of that. So I'm going to take a moment to pray, and uh, let's just, just try to posture our hearts in a, in a heart of wanting that intimacy with God, but also a heart that is humble and willing to receive whatever God would send. Father God, we just come before you, and God, we just acknowledge our complete and utter dependence upon you. God, you are wonderful. You are wonderful. You are worth living for. You are worth dying for. You are worth every single thing in our, in our lives. There is nothing that will come before you, and there is nothing that compares to you. God, we just give you our hearts right now. God, I pray that if nothing else right now, that you would increase our affection for you and our love for you and our longing for you. God, we desire Jesus. We desire that close relationship with you. God, we want you to tell us secrets. We want you to reveal to us the deep things. God, we surrender to you. And God, I pray that you'd cleanse our minds of any garbage that's just any toxins, Lord God, that have come in the way between us and you. And God, we pray that you would give us all courage to be free and to step into whatever you want to do in our lives. God, help us, Lord, with the new thing. We yield to you now in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, you're dismissed. Have a great week.